Freethinkers, and welcome back to another episode of the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor-in-chief, Matt Agarist. So we have a super awesome guest today, the man with the master plan, Mr. Mike Heiss. Mike has been instrumental in continuing the Ron Paul revolution from 2012 with his work with the Mises Caucus. Mike was kind enough to make some time for us today to discuss the caucus, their goals and ambitions, and what the road to liberty looks like through the path of politics. Hello, Mr. Heiss, and welcome to the podcast. So I've been bugging you for a few months now to come onto the podcast, and finally you're here. So thank you. So for the past couple of years, you've been working diligently to grow the Mises Caucus and have been extremely successful organizing a movement of Ron Paul supporters who've all kind of come together under the banner of liberty, Austrian economics, and previous incarnations of the Ron Paul revolution to kind of, I guess you could say, move the ball forward so little L libertarians could be represented politically outside of the embarrassment that is known as the Libertarian Party. So can we assume our listeners just don't know anything about the Mises Caucus? And can you give a brief explanation of what it is, when it was founded, and what the aspirations are? Absolutely. So, I mean, I'll, I'll also assume that your audience is pretty uh, familiar with Ron Paul, because I know the Free Thought Project kind of blew up around Ron Paul and that whole movement. And, you know, there was a lot of things that did. So your your listeners might know what I'm talking about when I say, you know, back then when the Ron Paul thing was going on, the, the community was on fire and there was an electricity in the, in, the, in the community and people were united around Ron and we were all working towards liberty in our own way, unified by Ron. And, and in the time since then, that has kind of fallen away. And, you know, there's been a lot of people that have kind of gone their own way. And, you know, there's a lot of great things that have come out of that. But at the same time, there hasn't been any coalescence around uh, a unified strategy uh, to, to rebuild that community and have it focused on a strategy. And that's pretty much what the Mises Caucus is. Um, it's to inject that liberty movement, uh, that Ron Paul revolution, into the Libertarian Party so that the Libertarian Party can uh, represent that movement and, and give them that community, you know, give them the framework to have that community uh, and to all work together under a unified strategy. And we, we do have a... Uh, a long-term strategy that we're looking to implement through the Libertarian Party and hopefully make it viable uh, for the for the first time, really, and uh, make it make it a force uh, in in not just politics but American culture. I think is really what what uh, a difference in how we see it versus how the party at large currently sees it. Ooh, yeah, I like that distinction. I appreciate that. I think that's exactly what the people are hungry for. And as we had found with our work, you know, people are desperate for this type of information. They're, they're desperate for the counterintuitive ideas that Ron Paul so prominently championed. So, you know, I think that's that's the key there, Mike. And obviously, the Libertarian Party convention is coming up this weekend. Uh, how is the Mises Caucus preparing and organizing for this moment? 
Yeah, so it's it's actually the California State Party Convention that's happening uh, this weekend. The, oh. the national convention uh, is happening uh, May twenty fifth, okay. the twenty sixth to the 29th, Sorry, and um, but um, you know you have all of these state conventions first. So the California one is coming up this weekend. We look very very good there. Uh, Florida is next weekend. We look very good there. And uh, you know part of the endeavor of of what it takes to uh, you know they hate this word, but take over the Libertarian Party. Uh, is you, you have to start at the state party levels and you have to get recruit people into the state parties. You have to get them involved at that level, uh, become the leadership there and form a plan there and get stuff done there, be, be, productive, be productive there so that um, those parties, then their culture changes to kind of a more movement oriented culture or a, a culture that's more representative of the movement. And, you know, what I mean by that is, is, you know, you, you kind of have these uh, think tank libertarians and then you have Ron Paul libertarians. And, you know, that's maybe an oversimplification of the of the uh, division, but it's something like that. And obviously we're all big fans of the, the Mises Institute. So, you know, I think we can be uh, pretty easily summarized as you know, end the Fed libertarians, anti-war, decentralization, property rights, Austrian economics and, and just the kind of spirit that uh, – that imbued that whole Ron Paul revolution is what we're trying to bring back. So we're, we're bringing that to the state parties. And, um, you know, from there we want to, uh, again, they hate this word, take over the, uh, the, the state, or I'm sorry, the national libertarian party to, uh, scale up our plan and scale up our messaging strategy. And our plan differs from the plan of the party right now, because the, well, the party right now doesn't really have a plan. Uh, their plan is to try to stop us. That's about it. Uh, <laughs> their, their plan is, their, their, their plan is, is, God, I hope we get enough votes in the presidential election this year to get into the debates. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, and they don't get it. They complain about how we're cheated and all this stuff. Um, but our plan is something much more like, you know, how, instead of how do I get 15 million votes in the presidential race, it's, it's something much more like how do I get five or 10,000 city councilors so that we can start nullifying the feds and make serious secession movements and serious moves towards de- decentralization and getting away from the federal government. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's Leviathan-like powers. Yeah, I guess that uh, really highlights how little I really pay attention to uh, politics and even the LP. I, I, I think I had known, I think I had uh, realized that, yeah, the Libertarian Party convention was in May. And I guess somehow I got the two mixed up or whatever. But uh, yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good indi- indicator how little I pay attention. Although I have signed up recently with the California LP and the uh, the Sacramento, California um, oh, cool. Mises caucus. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping to get a little bit more in the action, in the mix, which is kind of a new process for me for as long as that I've been doing this, you know, I haven't really, um, waded in those waters, I guess you could say. So, you know, at this point, I'm just kind of trying to do everything I can and, and literally exhaust myself for the cause of Liberty. But here's an extremely broad question for you. Uh, and I appreciate your opinion, you know, um, what in your mind is the problem with the libertarian party and why has it struggled so hard to gain traction over the past 20 years so the libertarian party is completely disconnected from the liberty movement they don't even know who they represent anymore um and and it's it's extremely insular like the libertarian party thinks that its base is libertarian party members when its base is libertarians so the easiest way i think to find out what's wrong with the party is to ask libertarians why they're not in the party um, and, and that's, that's something, you know, I've spent a lot more time on the movement side of things than I have in the party side of things. And that's kind of the question that we've been going out to answer and the changes that we've been looking to implement into the party, 
um, you know, to more represent the movement, to make it something that they would want to join and be proud of. Um, but basically, the, the, the party has become overly politicized. Um, and it's, it's, it's gotten away from its founding, uh, which was to infect, infect the culture. It was to focus on people and focus on minds and focus on, you know, a radical, unapologetic, bold message, um, you know, and not cowtail to, well, we don't want to be too extreme. We don't want to scare away voters. You know, it's, it's, it's turned into this thing where it's 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 chasing votes uh, just for the sake of maximizing votes so that we can, you know, uh, do fundraising and, and all of this kind of stuff. And I, I'm not trying to, you know, completely minimize fundraising. That's uh, part of politics. But at the same time, there's just no viability in their strategy. And they do the same thing over and over again. And then they wonder why we don't have a groundswell. And the, what's hilarious about it is the Libertarian Party currently has half the amount of members that it did in the early 2000s when Harry Brown was running. You know, the, the great Harry Brown. And, sure. and so we've lost a lot of ground. Um, we've lost a lot of ground as the technology uh, that that exists to reach out to people and recruit people and inspire people has greatly increased. So um, they're not really plugged in and they, they see themselves as a purely political movement and not a cultural movement. And I think that is the big problem. And I think that's the big contrast between, you know, say the Gary Johnson campaign or the Ron Paul revolution. You know, there's not really a cohesive community in the Libertarian Party. There's one in the Mises Caucus, um, and, and that's very uh, similar to, to the community that built up around Ron Paul. But the community about Ron, uh, that built up around Ron Paul, I would say, is a cultural movement. And, and it was trying to uh, uh, free minds and, and, and change minds and expand the, the, the window of the conversation. Um, and I think that is a necessary component. That has to come first before you even start worrying about political outcomes because we're not libertarians aren't going to have uh, good political outcomes until we have more liberty oriented people. And we're not going to have more liberty oriented people until we get in, do the difficult work of getting in the culture and, and getting into the conversation and being relevant on that level to where people will hear us. Now, the good news here is that unlike the Ron Paul days, the methods available to do that are way more open to us now. Um, you know, with Ron Paul, he was running as, a Republican, and, and he ran as a Republican because back then social media was just kind of getting off the ground and, and, and becoming a, a part of the culture. You know, you didn't have podcasts the way that you do now and, and the way that they dominate how people disseminate information these days. You know, so he kind of, if he wanted to get attention, he kind of had to run as a, as a Republican to get on that primary stage. And, you know, the rest is history. Today, though, you know, you've got Tim Pool, you've got Joe Rogan, you've got Patrick Bet David, you've got Adam Carolla, you've got all these different avenues um, that are out there that are independent, that, um, you know, aren't beholden to anybody but themselves and what they think is the truth. Um, and it turns out, it seems to me that that counterculture, you know, the podcast realm is embracing liberty. And that's something that excites me a lot. Definitely, dude. You said, so you said like there's a big kind of a divide between you and the Libertarian Party and the Mises Caucus. Um do you think it's because, like, they see you all as, like, too fringe and not statist enough? I remember, like, back in 2018 when you were pushing the Mises Caucus, uh, that you got some flack from the anarchists and the voluntarist crowd. You know, they were like, yo, you're trying to change the system from within. No, but, I mean, as we've seen, like, in New Hampshire and other, like, localized places, this 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 movement of localism seems to have very positive and observable effects. And you yeah, just mentioned earlier... Uh, 
you know, that you guys were going after, like, city councils and stuff like this. Um, and you do – I know that you have, like, caucus representatives in every state. How How is that going to pan out? How are you all planning on, uh, for lack of a better word, infiltrating local politics? Can you, like, uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, so we have what we call our three-pronged strategy. And Well, to, to answer your first question, it's it's not that we're too fringe or that we're not statist enough. They actually say that we're Republican plants and, you know, <laughs> we're transphobes and, and all this nonsense. Um, what it is is that they're losing control. That, that That's what it is. There's people who, um, you know, it's the human condition, man, and it's, 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 part, it's the reason why us as libertarians, whether you're a, a minarchist, anarchist, voluntarist, whatever you want to call it, um, most of us don't really like politics, and we kind of are just like, man, fuck politics, because it's got this pull on the human condition that makes people crazy, um, and and that has certainly happened here. And apparently, you don't have to give people much to make them crazy, because like, there's no power in being chair of the Libertarian Party, not really. I mean, maybe a tiny bit within our little bubble, but not really. And and uh, you know, you do get a title, and I guess some of these people seem to think that there's virtue in the democratic process. So for them to be getting elected to this position, it means that they are well-liked and good and competent. Um, and obviously that's not the case when you look at the results of the party. So the fact that we're coming in hard and we are unapolog- unapologetically saying we are here to change this party. We are here to bring the movement in. And if you have been one of the people that led the party to where it is now, you are getting replaced. Like we're done being embarrassed. And, and that I think is something that they're very angry about. To answer your other question, as far as how to, you know, the strategy, we have what we call the three-pronged strategy that we are employing around the country. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it is a political party, so it is a political battle. That's not to say that we're not uh, engaged with or, or supportive of agorism or any of these other methods. It's just the one that we choose to do. And I think, you know, we can build communities across all of these different methods. But uh, what the three-pronged strategy is, is, uh, you know, one is... It's the, the one that's the most obvious is the one that we get all the, the press about is it's the, the party organizing. It's recruiting, getting people involved, getting them involved in their local level parties, you know, all that stuff. That's like the more boring stuff. The other two, though, that's where we actually infiltrate in the local politics. So it's local level candidates. And when I say local level candidates, I mean specifically city council, mayor, sheriff, judge, school board. Positions where if you won you could nullify the feds. The whole strategy is built around nullification and decentralization. Those are the two political principles that we're after uh, most stridently. So, you know, it's, it's, it's helping these candidates get into these positions where they can stop a tax increase or they can, you know, take uh, legislation from the 10th Amendment Center banning warrantless use of surveillance technology, you know, and, and introducing that. Um, so it's local level candidates, but then it's also local level issue coalitions. And this is where I think we as libertarians are frankly going to make the most ground for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, Scott Horton uh, from antiwar.com, you know, he has a phrase that he uses a lot of hit the left from the left, hit the right from the right. And the way that you that we utilize this in, in a local level is, you know, for example, I live here in Norristown, Pennsylvania. There's about 40,000 people here. Seventy percent of the voting de- uh, demographic is Democrat. Um, so what I started doing is I started going to city council meetings here and, um, making my case for why the, the town here should decriminalize marijuana. And, uh, this was a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, I made all of my libertarian points, but then I hit the left from the left by saying, look guys, the state Democrat party here has weed legalization on its platform. You know, 
this is what people want. It shouldn't take me, some random libertarian dude, to come in here and tell you that you should be giving the people what's already on your platform. What are you thinking? You know, and, and I came with legislation in hand, like sample legislation in hand, made it as easy as possible, or I should say eliminated as many excuses as possible. And, um, you know, a few weeks later, I, I came back with a, a guy who is uh, heads up our, our, well, not our, but he heads up a, uh, an organization called the Keystone Cannabis Coalition. Um, you know, it's a grassroots uh, weed lobbyist organization here in Pennsylvania, totally progressive. But, you know, that's the beauty of issue coalitions. Nobody has to give up their principles, you know, and uh, brought him in. He spoke to it a few weeks later. I got a call from the chair, well, email from the chair saying that they had passed decriminalization here in Norristown. And, you know, as a result of that, these two little towns on either side of Norristown on their own also decriminalized. Um, so now that that has happened, you know, I... I watched these city council or yeah, these city councilors roll their eyes at me when I said that I was a libertarian and I was a member of the Libertarian Party. But now that I achieved this, they're not going to do that anymore because now I'm a doer and now I have some credibility on the streets because I gave people something that they want that happened to also uh, increase their liberty. So I think when we as libertarians do stuff like this, you know, and you could just as easily do this in a red town with gun sanctuaries, you know, or something like that. Um, I think when we become the catalysts and we start going into enemy territory and, and say, hey, you know, you rank and file conservatives, you believe in gun rights. Well, here's legislation for gun sanctuaries. Why isn't your so-called uh, conservative politicians giving you this? You know, do we want to make this happen? Well, then let's go to city council and let's do it. When we start to be the ones to be the catalyst, I really think the name of the game, less than ideology, is trust. And right now... These other the people who are Republicans or Democrats, they don't really have any reason to trust us because we as libertarians, we don't have uh, we don't have power enough to be a threat to them. And we don't have power enough to help them destroy the other side. So there's no reason for them to listen to us because it doesn't benefit them because they, they've got the Democrats or the Republicans to fight off. And, and they're on their own much more capable of doing that than listening to us. So our ideas can't, in my opinion, unless you're dealing with an open-minded person, a free-minded person um, who is down to just on the merits of the arguments, consider changing their ideology. We have to do something to, to generate that trust to where we can even have the conversations. And I really, really think that the, the issue coalition idea is where we can achieve that. And I've seen it happen. I mean, we have the weed thing. We've done this with gun sanctuaries. We're very involved in psychedelic decriminalization, which is an issue I'm, I'm pretty passionate about, and, you know, and, and uh, yeah, we're getting it done and it's, it's, it's starting to grow. I mean, we're leading the way on uh, uh, fighting the mandates here in Philadelphia. Our chair candidate for the national party just got a ballot initiative approved uh, in Los Angeles, California, where it's going to be, well, they're, they're collecting signatures, but they've got a torrent of media attention. And, and it, if they get these signatures, it's going to be on the ballot for residents of California to stop the vaccine mandates. And we, you know, we as libertarians, our people did this. So that's that's awesome, that's, man. Yeah, that's that's really great to hear. Well, one more story is here in Pennsylvania, you know, um, like this, the, the way this story goes, I think it's just astounding. You know, I was on Tim Pool's podcast like three months ago, four months ago and uh, with, with Dave Smith and. uh this uh, woman, Audrey, heard us, heard about the caucus through it, joined the party, and took it on herself to to start up this organization called Don't Tread on Philly. 
And uh, it was very, very modest in how it started at first. It was just a little website, and, you know, she she hooked up with some of the other Mises Caucus people in Philly. You know, they, they got some flyers together. They got a little website together to, uh, you know, collect emails to kind of build a little community of people opposing the mandates. And we went out to the New Year's parade and handed this stuff out. Well, what started off as this simple little thing completely blew up to where they now have the Children's Health Defense Fund uh, supporting them, who, which is the group of people behind, uh, you know, RFK and, and the real Anthony Fauci book. Uh, you know, Children for Informed Consent, you know, is out there. Nurse groups, uh, you know, progressives uh, are coming out. Ward leaders, Republican ward leaders in Philly, uh, the chair of the Young Republicans. Like, it's it's totally blown up to where uh, these Mises Caucus people in Philly who started this Don't Tread on Philly brand in this effort are now the nexus point for um, anti-mandate action in the city. And, and they actually, the city of Philadelphia ended the mandates yesterday. Oh, wow. That's wonderful news. And uh, yeah, you know, sometimes it just takes one person to light the match, you know, for the entire box of matches to, to catch on fire. It sounds like that's what's happening. And I think that's a lot of what we do here, you know, is uh, with, with the Free Thought Project and just in the Liberty Movement, you know, we're trying to inspire each other and we all have different skills. We all have different passions, uh, different places in our lives where we can make change and, and create some type of uh, positive effect. So it sounds like, uh, you know, from what you're doing has inspired people to inspire other people. And, uh, you know, that's that's the name of the game. You said something that piqued my interest there um, in the beginning when you answered my first question. You said that the Libertarian Party um, thinks that the Mises Caucus is a bunch of Republicans and transphobes. And I was uh, I chuckled a little bit. I was like, man, it sounds like the, the woke cultists, you know, like where they they can't argue with any points based on logic, reason or principle. So they, you know, they falsely accuse somebody as being an alt-right homophobe, you know. Is this is this something you think that like is going on in the Libertarian Party? Is it is it be, like becoming? Oh, without a, without question. Really? And, and up until yeah, up, and, and and up until we inserted ourselves, it was the dominant culture in the party because, like I said, the, the party has been uh, overly politicized and is seeking mainstream approval uh, in order to achieve its goals and and move the ball forward. And and if you want to be respectable to the mainstream you know media and the mainstream narrative. Well, then, by just by extension of that, you, you basically have to cowtail to you know, the woke narrative or the latest progressive narrative that, that is you know, coming out of universities and, and all of that. You can't run afoul of that. And that's, that's the difference between the movement and the party right there. The movement doesn't give a fuck about all of this stuff, and it's going to call it as it sees it and, and see it for the control scheme that it is. Uh, and they don't care if that offends anybody. They're telling the truth. Um, whereas the party wants to be political and, you know, if the truth gets in the way of uh, a couple of votes on its way to 2% of the vote, then, then, you know, we have a problem here. And, uh, so that's, that's what it is, is we want to really unrestrain the, the really the, the rock party in nature of the founding of, of the party and, and get back to that. And, and we're not going to be able to be a cultural movement if the culture of the party itself is echoing the dominant cultural narratives coming out of the, the institutions of this country that are part of the control scheme itself. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's, you know, it's libertarian nature to come in with, to let everybody do as they want. You know, it's just like my, I have a shirt that Jason bought me for Christmas that says, I want gay married farmers to be able to, you know, protect their marijuana fields with AR-15s. You know, like that's the, it's live and let live is the libertarian philosophy. But when you falsely accuse people of being 
you know, alt-right or homophobes or transphobe or whatever and try to push these ideologies on them, you become authoritarian. And that seems like that's what's that's what's happening. And that's pretty that's pretty shitty of the Libertarian Party to start going that direction, man, just to just to appease the political apparatus. Well, if you think about what Ron Paul brought, he didn't he wasn't telling people what they wanted to hear. You know, he wasn't trying to, to play to the woke crowd. He was actually telling people what they didn't want to hear. And that was a important distinguishment because a lot of the stuff he was saying, it almost sounded counterintuitive, right? It wasn't so much trying to jump on the latest bandwagon narrative or, you know, trying to uh, place himself as, you know, virtuous signaling for a certain cause or, or whatever. He was telling people that we actually have to end some of these institutions. And I think that was a, a huge uh, rallying cry because people were like, we're finally being told the hard truths instead of trying to pander to the flavor of the month ideology that just happens to be, you know, waffling bias at the moment. Well, one of my favorite things that Ron Paul ever said in that whole thing, and and I think this is kind of the spirit of what you're saying is, you know, he point blank said, I'm not, I'm not running to run your life. I don't know how to run your life. I don't have the authority to run your life. I don't have the moral authority to run your life. You know, that's for you to decide, you know, and, and, uh, one of the things that really got the fires burning under the Mises caucus in the beginning of its existence is the fact that the chair of the Libertarian Party essentially called Ron Paul a Nazi. <laughs> you know, like, and and that's how far gone the, the, the culture of the party was go- had gone by that point. You know, and, and basically the, 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 one of the things that catalyzed the, the, the caucus for me was, you know, it was looking to me at that time that if, we, if something wasn't done, that Bill Weld was going to be the next the 2020 presidential nominee and uh you know i think that he was connected enough to where they might actually let him get in the debates and then i i had a literal nightmare one night of of um bill weld being in front of a sea of people you know with tv cameras on him and stuff behind a podium saying you know this is what libertarianism is america and you know the word would be lost if if that kind of thing had happened and uh you know Culture, you know, I've mentioned a lot about culture in this in this uh, interview so far and and how we have to become a cultural movement. Well, you know, one of the the vanguards of culture is language. Um, And if and and libertarians don't exactly occupy a huge cultural space right now, like we don't have a lot of cultural territory to give up. So if we lose the word, we're going to be we're basically going to be wayward. And this has already happened to us because we weren't always libertarians. Right. Like we were liberals. And, and, and we were liberals up until about the, uh, the progressive era and the, and the New Deal and all that stuff when the, that word started being really taken away from us. Murray Rothbard reclaimed libertarian from left-wing anarchists in the 60s, and, and that's really where we come from. So, you know, I don't think Rothbard helped to found the Libertarian Party so that 50 years later, uh, you know, some, some uh, anti-gun schmuck like Bill Weld could come and, and destroy the word for us. I just don't believe that. So... Um, you know, we have to defend the, what literal cultural territory we do have, our language, you know, and, and press it forward, not be ashamed of it. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, yeah, I don't know how Gary Johnson, I mean, maybe he's remotely, you know, slightly a percentage or two more libertarian than Bill Weld, but even he was a, a pretty bad example. Well, what, I think what you're getting at there, is, and this is, again, something how we, the Mises Caucus, are just a little bit fundamentally different from the, the current party as it stands, is, I mean, Gary Johnson's not a bad guy. Like, I don't want to, like, overly shit on him. He was not the right messenger. But, but 
how I'm framing it as he wasn't the right messenger. That is the problem. Like the reason people ran Gary Johnson is because again, it's this mainstream uh, uh, respectability thing. Well, my God, he was a two-time governor in a blue state, you know, and 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 did these, you know, and he did well there, and he, you know, he did do well there. But um, you know, that's going to be credible, and that's what people are going to vote for. And we need to get into the debates and all of this political stuff. Which, when you put the political stuff, you're put, like first, you're putting the cart before the horse because much the same way that economics isn't charts and graphs, it's human action. All of this stuff is human action. So you have to worry about people first. And and uh, so we don't see the role of running for president as a libertarian as an endeavor to maximize votes first and foremost. We see running as liber- uh, president as a libertarian first and foremost as a means of, of destroying people's paradigms. You know, and, and getting them to look at the world a different way, getting the light bulb to go on, you know, uh, uh, expanding the Overton window on the conversation, you know, and, and uh, getting people, you know, freeing minds. That's what it's all about to us. Now, if that leads to a groundswell of, of people joining the party and we happen to get some uh, political outcomes from that down, down the line, then great. But when you put the politics before the people... You, the incentive structure of your decision making gets all it gets political and it gets all screwed up. So that's that's the kind of thing that we have to keep in mind as we progress through this whole process. Sure. And be able to answer a question about what the not aggression principle is uh, <laughs> if you're calling yourself yeah. a libertarian, which Gary Johnson failed to do. But he said it was too complicated. <laughs> did he? It was that his excuse. He said it was over his head. OK, yeah. next question. What is Aleppo? that was that was pretty embarrassing man (laughs) so i guess this is kind of along the same lines maybe a little bit different but some could make the argument that the work that you're doing with the mises caucus swings the pendulum more towards pragmatism rather than uh focusing on principle but just like everything else in life right like this debate has nuance very few things are black and white so there's overlap with both But I do remember Jeff Dice at like a Mises event not too long ago. He made a brilliant point that the left has co-opted elected elected politics for decades now. And libertarians kind of got pushed to the side along with all of our principles and and values. And the left just went on kind of a a tangent, uh, implementing many of their status laws and policies that infringe on our our liberties and rights. Uh, So therefore, it's maybe time for us to start doing the same, right, to step up to plate with localism or what Hoppe calls uh, defensive democracy. So, um, you know, we, we recently had both Pete Quinones and Sal Vagris on our podcast. Uh, both are on kind of opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to that, as far as using the state for positive change or whatever. Uh, where do you believe your work fits in to that spectrum of pragmatism versus principle? And like, what are your thoughts with this longstanding debate within the Liberty community? So I, I think politics has to have its place. I, I, I don't think we can write it off because, I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody here, but I'm pretty sure, I mean, it, it sounds like we're all pretty Ron Paul inspired, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that right there, I think, answers that question just off the top. Like, we, we all were inspired by a quote-unquote politician for a quote-unquote campaign. Um, now, the way he ran that campaign was unique and, and against the, the grain of what we think of politics today. Be. But um, I think that shows point blank that you have to have politics uh, on the table. And then not to mention, I, I, I mean, I've named some things here that 
at that local level, especially, you can see some positive outcomes, and it doesn't take that much effort. I mean, I, I did what I did with the weed thing here. I went to two city council meetings. You know, we we've helped uh, Denver, Colorado, decriminalize shrooms, and that was a very very uh, narrow victory that it won. And what happened as a result of that is psychedelic decriminalization is now a nationwide movement. Um, you know, Detroit just did it. The state of Oregon decriminalized everything. Uh, there's multiple towns and cities in uh, Massachusetts, in, in uh, uh, Michigan, in California that are that are looking at doing this. And again, the, the, the decriminalization or I'm sorry, the psychedelic thing is something that despite its surface nature, I think is actually like really, really important. Um, so you can see some positive outcomes there. Basically, the model of what we're doing is we want to run national level races to do national level messaging and marketing and and do what I was talking about earlier with with you know breaking down people's paradigms and getting them to, to see these concepts for the first time and then bringing them into the fold but once we you know once you bring them into the fold you know the, the party has been burning out activists for you know 50 years now because you get people who are well I'm going to run for state senate you know people say that to me and the first thing I say to them is why you know like why why not just run for city council you know why not run for mayor you know, something like that. And but the idea is the, this nationwide messaging to funnel people into local action. And without that local action, I don't see how we're ever going to make serious, serious gains towards secession or real uh, uh, de- decentralization. It's going to have to come from it. You know, people because people would say, well, I don't want to get involved in politics, but I love the idea of secession. Well, it's going to take politics to get there. You know, it's going to take uh you know, there's multiple ways I think secession could be done, but it's going to take, you know, the culture of a state changing and demanding that we don't want to be involved with the federal government anymore. Or another way you could do it, you know, this is an idea that I've been thinking about is, um, I'll use my state of Pennsylvania, for example, is, you know, most of the counties here, there's over 60 counties, are rural. And you've got huge population centers in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. And Philadelphia in particular really has like an outsized political influence on the rest of the state. But those counties all still have equal representation, just the same way that California, you know, the giant landmass out west has two senators just the same as Rhode Island does. So why can't the rural counties in or here in Pennsylvania come together and just be like, you know, Philly, don't really like sharing a government with you anymore. You know, we can we can trade together. We can we can have free travel. We can have all these things. But I just don't want you having a political influence over the rest. These things can't happen unless you have politics on the table. They're, they're not going to happen on their own. Now, there is other th- things that need to be done. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not at all against, um, you know, freedom cells or agorism or any of this other stuff. But I think it all has to kind of work harmoniously together. And, and we all should have a respect for, for each other, you know? Like, I don't really have the time to go the full agorist route right now, but I'm not going to – I wouldn't shit on anybody who's doing it, you know, and I wouldn't shit on anybody who – thinks that, uh, you know, the, the, the GOP is uh, an easier pathway to power and we need that power for positive change. You know, I'm not going to shit on anybody's effort for doing that. I think I think they're a little short-sighted. You know, I think they're strategically wrong. But, um, but no, I think you have to have politics on the table. And I think we as the libertarian community, we all have to respect the division of labor that we're, that we're uh, engaged in in these different strategies and see what works and what doesn't. And I think what we're doing is working. I think the Free State Project is really working um, and, and causing some change. And we have to we have to recognize where it works, even if it kind of goes against what our opinions might have been. 
Yeah. I think that is so important to, you're right, not shit on others who are trying different strategies. And, you know, I think it's a multi-prong approach um, similar to to what your strategy is, I think, for more of the local elected politics. But, you know, we need to win hearts and minds. We need to go the politics route. We need boots on the ground. I think all these things are important. Uh, But with that being said, you know, allow me to play the devil's advocate here. You know, obviously here at the Free Thought Project, we're huge opponents of the drug war. I mean, we cover stories frequently about drug war policies that violate our rights, that get innocent people uh, killed. Um, But can one make an argument that, you know, by rescinding some of these drug laws, uh, we're not actually moving the ball forward for liberty because we're actually just breaking neutral because these drug laws wouldn't exist in the first place without the state, right? So I guess the, the argument goes along the lines of, like, you can't cure cancer with cancer necessarily, and uh, the idea that we're going to be able to use politics to reform politics is a dangerous avenue to continue down because it's just going to continue to expand the state. Now, I know we both know the nuance and the argument uh, with this debate, but I mean, what, what would you say in response to that? Well, what is the great cancer? Is it your city council or is it the federal government? Well, it's probably the initiation of the, the claimed authority of the initiation of violence. Right, but we have an onion to unravel here is, is the problem. And, and we can use the, the federalist system to, to kind of unravel that onion, which is what I'm proposing, and, and that we use the sovereignty that is supposed to be granted to the states and, uh, and uh, the localities to fight back against the federal government. Because I think, so like, you know, the onset of, the, uh, of aggression, you're right, you know, philosophically, uh, all governments are, are invalid because they, they rule with an iron fist and they take your money and, and, and you know, they violate the, the property rights of our bodies. That's absolutely true. Um, but then the, the question, the, you still have to ask, well, compared to what and how do we get from where we're at to where we want to be? Um, so <clears throat> I think when you think about it in, in a realistic way, if you compare everything to the ideal, you're going to become embittered and nothing ever looks good enough. But if you can but if you compare things to as they stand, then things start to look a lot more clear and a lot more, uh, uh, favorable. True. So I, I think we kind of have to keep that perspective of like, if we're just assuming the ideal, um, well then, yeah, everything's terrible, but then everything's going to be terrible because we're probably never going to achieve the full on ideal. And the ideal kind of changes from person to person anyway. So I think the best thing that we can do right now is agree on a strategy on how to get from where we at to whatever the ideal is and, and count our blessings along the way, because if we weren't doing that, it would be going the other way. Yeah, that's a great point, man. And I, I tend to believe like in, in that sort of nuanced approach at, at seeking a lesser evil, and by lesser evil, I mean, you know, more freedom. And um, and if we're always infighting and telling the other person that they're wrong and that, that that's not going to work, you know, that then you really tend not to make very much progress, you know. And uh, also, I, I listened to a Jordan Peterson podcast this week, and he said on there, like, even though you have these principles, you know, and you challenge them all the time, who's to say that that's right? You know, we have an end goal in mind. Uh, you know, like it, I personally have, you know, uh, the voluntarist approach and that's my that's my end goal philosophy. But who's to say that's right? We've never seen it in action. So to say that we know all the answers is 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 pompous, you know, and it's also it could be irresponsible in the long run. So I think an approach like what what the Mises caucus is doing and bringing everybody together with a multi pronged approach like that is, is a pretty uh, <clears throat> a, 
a pretty good way to, to go about, you know, achieving a more free society. Yeah, and, and, and I think what you're pointing out is more than is the strategy right or is the philosophy right is I think we're actually – and you, you mentioned Jordan Peterson, and I'm, I'm a fan boy. I love that guy. Um, <laughs> but but um, what you're pointing out is more of an attitude, and I think that's, that, that's what people need to kind of get right within themselves. It's very easy to – Oh man, I have mandates in my city, and you know there is no liberty uh, politicians here for me to do anything about. And I'm 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 nihilistic and hopeless, and and fuck all of this. You know, it's it's easy to to fall into these kinds of things or to see it as futile, or or especially if you compare just compare everything to the ideal to say, well, this isn't really meaningful uh, moves in the right direction. That is the it's gonna it's an attitude that. We, we have to adopt that it kind of doesn't matter it, there's a sense in which it doesn't matter what results that we get so long as we are earnestly striving in the right direction um <clears throat> that i think is more important than anything and you might end up finding out that you if you adopt an attitude like that that you know along the way you, you, you achieve a lot more than you ever thought possible at the beginning and uh it just it, I, I think that's the big thing that we as libertarians need to need to really grapple with is what kind of an attitude are we going to take with us as we try to move this ball forward are we going to be oh well you know uh i I, i'm doing politics and and you know this agorist you know talk shit about me all the time so you know what fuck agorism no that's not going to help anything right you know what i mean like like that's that's not going to help anything i i i think agorists have a very noble goal in mind and and i think um we have to create these alternative uh marketplaces and these alternative uh, uh structures but, um, you know, that's just not where I'm, I'm good at organizing people. You know, I, I like to think I'm okay at inspiring people. Um, and that's where I'm going to be moving. And I would, if people come to me and say, yeah, politics isn't really my thing, you know, bylaws, Robert's rules, this seems like bullshit. It is bullshit. But it, it seems like total bullshit. Okay. <laughs> Check out freedom cells, man. You know, like do something. Right. Yeah, I, you know, we we talked this, we brought the same topic up to both Sal and Pete. I, I really love this topic. I, I feel like it really gets to the heart of the, the, the crux of the philosophical debate within libertarianism and probably for more of the people who are interested in the intellectual side of things. But I think it's important to kind of flush out because a lot of this does kind of hinge on our own action. And, you know, if you are somebody who claims to be more principled, then you're probably not going to put yourself in a place where you're voting, right? Because uh, that's something that, you know, philosophical libertarians and anarchists are principally against. But I think it's so important to kind of get everybody's opinion on this. And that's why so much, you know, we value you coming onto the show because you have a different perspective. You're on the ground here. You're organizing. uh, You're you're talking with people. You're seeing how a lot of this stuff works firsthand. So it's absolutely crucial to, to get your opinion on that. And I didn't mean to press you too hard, on playing the devil's advocate. Oh, no, I know. I, I'm not saying you're traumatized or anything, but like, I think <laughs> it, it's important to, to really get to the heart of that because without it, then, you know, I think there's people kind of lost in the sea of uncertainty of where they belong as far as the, the Liberty movement's concerned. Uh, but with that being said, like, do you still identify as anarcho-capitalist or do you feel like your pl- political identity has changed over the past, what, three or four years now with the Mises caucus being um, a, a thing? Oh, no, I'm definitely an anarcho-capitalist still. Um, It's just I tend to try not to speak to my personal views um, as much as I try to speak to 
this, it's a little complicated. So, like, the Libertarian Party has an agreement uh, that it's been working off of for, like, 45 years called the Dallas Accord. And the idea here is that this is a Libertarian Party. It's not necessarily an anarchistic party. It's not necessarily a minarchistic party. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a party for all the parents. Um, so I try to, while I, I am an anarcho-capitalist and I see things through the, that lens, I try to speak less to my personal uh, views as much as I try to speak from where the proper tent poles are for libertarianism from these different frameworks of minarchism and anarchism. I don't know if that makes sense or if that sounded like a gobbledygook, but like... Um, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like there's there's a slight difference in first principles between the two, and you got to account for that. But you know, I also have respect for them because that we're all going to have to work together. You know, I'm 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 trying to, you know, nobody nobody was asking each other, well, are you a minarchist or an anarchist? Uh, you know, during the Ron Paul thing, that came after that, like that came in the in the debates and stuff like that after when we were all exploring anarchism and exploring these ideas and all that stuff. But when when the thing was going on. Nobody was fighting. Nobody was asked, like, questioning the utility of what was going on because it was so completely and obviously self-evident, the, the, the utility uh, of what was going on, that only an idiot would have said, this is stupid. You know? Like, everybody was, was down with what was going on, pretty much, during the Ron days. Sure. And, that again, that's a, that's a community thing. Right. That, that, that's a community thing. That's an attitude thing. That's, uh, I don't know, a vibe <laughs> you know, like it's, it's kind of hard to like it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but um, that's the kind of so th- so. Then to me, the question is: is well, what our attitude generated that culture, that community? You know, what is it about us? That's the things I want to recapture, and I don't want to focus on our differences. I'll have the debates where I think that there are differences, but I don't want to like focus on them and, and grow that resentment or grow that oh you're different than me and blah blah. blah. It's just I, I see it as all division of labor. Sure. So can that same mentality be extended to maybe even left libertarians or do you feel like there's a line there as far as people that we call our allies? Depending depending on how you define it, if, if you define it as people who are culturally progressive, uh, no, it's not my cup of tea, but no. But if you define it as people uh, who are not respectful of property rights, yes, because libertarianism is property rights plus the nap. So... Yeah, uh, if you don't have a respect for property rights, you're in a, a completely different philosophical tradition. I feel like that's what a lot of this boils down to is respect for property rights and individualism, and, and that's almost the distinction between the left and right at this point. And, and fortunately, we kind of, um, I guess, side more with the right with both of those. Uh, and not to say that's a bad thing, but you know, the right also isn't exactly perfect, and they've been bad on a lot of things like war and the drug war and stuff like that. But uh, I let think me, you're right. Let on me that. answer that question. Yeah, let me let me answer that question another way. This is an observation that I've made um, because when we were when we were first founding the caucus and we talked to, and we created the platform and all that stuff, we we knew that we were going to get smeared and stuff like that. And so we we very specifically formulated things in such a way as to be a shield for ourselves. So we have two planks in our platform, one after the other. One that addresses identity politics, where we just point blank say, like, identity politics is pure tribalistic nonsense, and fuck that. Um, But then we have what we call the lifestyles plank, which is basically that the way you live your life is an extension of your self-ownership. So, so, you know, so long as you uh, 
abide by the nap, you know, we don't really care. And what we're trying to get at with the one-two punch of those two things is that, technically speaking, technically speaking, you can be a, a, a SJW and in the Mises caucus, technically. But there's a catch. In your value hierarchy, you cannot have your uh, identity stuff higher than your property rights stuff, your decentralization stuff, your Austrian economic stuff, your anti-war stuff. You can't put your – you have to arrange your value hierarchy in such a way that these other concepts are more important than your identity stuff. And if you can't do that, we're not the place for you. My observation has been that people who are, let's say, more uh, culturally oriented towards the right have a much easier time arranging their value hierarchy in mm. such a way than do the people on that come from the left. Yes, good, good point. Yeah, both of them have tendencies of authoritarianism, though, <laughs> which is why you know the nuance is is a uh, is a good approach. Yeah, well, humans humans have tendency towards authoritarianism. You know? Right, like, right. That's, yeah, good point. So we're getting uh, close to running out of time here. I have a couple more questions that are kind of more on like a personal level. I don't know how many more questions Matt has, sure. but um, so. What motivates you, man? You know, there's so many people out there that are apathetic, that are jaded, disillusioned, that they just don't feel like there's any hope or way out of this. And you continue to to keep working on this. And, you know, as long as I've known you and we haven't known each other that long, but, you know, it's been a good, what, six, seven years now. And yeah. you've always continued to try to, to move the ball forward. So, you know, I mean, is there, can you put your finger on it? Do you know what, where that fire inside yeah. comes from? Uh, so. Absolutely. So you, you say you were going to get personal. I'll get I'll get personal with you. Um, and, and my my Peterson fanboy will come out because he's he's somebody who really helped me to um, answer this question. Um, so with the Ron Paul thing, um, I thought that everybody was feeling about it similarly to how I felt about it. It wasn't until later that I found out that it was something much more personal to me. Uh, apparently, than it was, and and not strictly ideological slash philosophical. Um, And basically what happened with the Ron thing is uh, at the time that I got involved, you know, and and, and found the ideas and found Ron, you know, I was was young and I was was pretty lost. I had a lot of stuff going on at home and, and I just wasn't, I wasn't doing so well mentally, you know, and, and I, I spent some years as suicidal and, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the example of Ron's character, uh, gave me a vision of somebody that I would like to be like. Uh, and then I had, I had a psychic experience that, that broke me out of the depression and, and allowed me to see things a little bit differently and see how I was, keeping myself in that place in a way that I couldn't see it before, which enabled me to start altering my actions. So I was able to see that. And then I had a vision of a kind of person that I wanted to be like, and who not just ideologically what Ron represented, but character wise, um, uh, who, who I would like to be like. And what Jordan helped me to understand is that I, I, the freedom thing and everything that happened with Ron and what we're doing now, it's always meant a lot to me. And I always felt that, but I didn't understand that it's actually the thing that imbues me with meaning and imbues my life with meaning. I didn't understand that. I felt it, but I didn't understand it. I wouldn't have articulated it that way until I encountered Jordan Peterson's work. 
I love it, man. That's a that's a great answer and certainly authentic. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you kind of sharing that part of yourself with us. So uh, speaking of Ron Paul, I know you've probably gotten close to him, I, I would assume anyway, being close to the Mises uh, Institute. Um, we had David Andrew Gay on a couple weeks ago, and he was telling us stories about how he's met Dr. Ron Paul, and he, he's actually friends with uh, his family, and I guess Ron Paul's wife, can't remember her name right now. God, I should know this. Carol. Carol made cookies for him, and, and apparently he's had chili over there. And apparently they eat chili with noodles. But do you have any fun Ron Paul stories like that or any experiences with him that kind of stick out on stick out in your mind? Um, so uh, the one – I wouldn't say I know him. I mean I've met him on a number of occasions, but um, I, I was – so the one that's probably the funnest for me is um, – I also was at his house and, and, and had chili with him and, and one time and, uh, you know, I was sitting across the table and I was sitting at a table with him, um, you know, and, and Ron was sitting there. Tom Woods was sitting next to him and Lou Rockwell was at the end of the table and Tom pulls Ron in, like puts his arm around Tom, uh, Ron and puts his arm in and points at me and says, you know, this guy's the real deal and, you know, he's really out there killing it and all this stuff and basically endorses me to Ron. Um, and I got to personally tell Ron how I felt kind of like just how I told, told you guys and Ron's response to that was, uh, Oh man, you know, you're really, you're really, uh, you're really adding to my ego right now, you know, like, and, and himself trying to stay humble and, and like, of course he would. And, um, you know, that was, that was a pretty surreal experience for me. Yeah. I bet, man. I bet. I bet that was, uh, had you on a high for at least a week or two and, uh, uh yeah. Good on you to even be at that table, dude. That's that's a pretty awesome table to be sitting at. So that's pretty badass. It's definitely a highlight. I never got to do that. I had to wait in line for like an hour in 2007 just to shake Ron Paul's hand. And then again in 2012, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, never definitely never got to sit down at the table with him. But uh, that's that's interesting, man. Um, yeah. You you uh, you talked about like the three prong approach and the way of getting the, you know, inciting this localized peaceful change. And I'm sure that our listeners are going to be interested in getting involved because, I mean, this is like you said, it's a it's a division of labor and can and cite change on a massive scale with little small efforts, you know, spread out. Uh, what are some of the ways that folks can join in on this fight? Like, where would they start? Is there like a centralized administrative area of the Mises caucus? How would how can they get involved and try to help out? So what you want to do is you want to go to lpmesiscaucus.com, uh, and you want to fill out the form there. Um, that'll get you on our email list, but it does more than just get you on our email list. It will, um, you know, we require that you give us the state that you're in, and by doing that, uh, your information will get routed to our organizers in your state who will then reach out to you um, and see if you want to do what we call an onboarding meeting, where they will walk you through the, the strategy I outlined walk you through what they've got going on, any conventions they have coming up, and, you know, see if you want to get involved. Um, you know, we've got over 250 organizers in all 50 states across the entire country. Uh, there's thousands of volunteers uh, under them, and, uh, you know, that's the kind of coordination that it's going to take, you know, if we want to have a decentralization movement that, that, that means anything and, and can, uh, you know, achieve that goal. And it's going to be, you know, the other thing that I, I think is important to note is, you know, I think sometimes, especially in this era where we got our phones all the time and you can google anything at any time and you know that, that we tend to think that things happen quickly and there's not going to be any silver bullets out of the the, the, the situation we find ourselves 
There's not going to be any silver bullets out of the, the status paradigm or the inflationary wave that's that's kicking up. And like, we have to be committed long term, and that can be intimidating. But um, you know, the price of of liberty is is eternal vigilance, and and that's what it's going to take. We're going to have to, uh, you know, we're going to have to live for a cause, not die for one. Well said, man. Well said. Um, I guess, man, I guess that's we're wrapping up on time here. Would you like to add anything else or uh, tell other people, um, you know, any any other things about Michael Heiss and the Mises Caucus? Uh, well, lpmisescaucus.com, or you could also use takehumanaction.com. That's that's our tagline. It's a play on words of uh, Mises' magna opus, economic treaty, uh, uh, human action. And uh, you can also go to misesmerch.com. We've got... Uh, We've got shirts for all the Austrian great thinkers on there. We're adding more all the time. And, um, you know, if you like what you heard, I hope you uh, join us. Even if you're not interested in the politics, check it out. Because I think what you'll find is that we have a community uh, that's very similar in, in the energy of, to the Ron Paul thing. And you might come for the community and end up finding, you know, that you, that you want to stay for the other stuff. But at the very, very least, we've got a network of thousands and thousands of people across the entire country. We've got Dave Smith, uh, you know, uh, on our side. We've got Tom Woods on our side. We're endorsed by Ron Paul. Um, you know, all the, the, the thinkers that kind of lead the liberty movement have taken up cause with us, and that's where we're in our growth. That's the culture that we want to take into the party and then use the party as a base to take into the, uh, the culture of the country at large. So, um, and then I also just remind people that we're so much closer to the counterculture in this country than anybody realizes so much closer you know dave smith was just on joe rogan for the sixth time you know and joe invited him down to texas to open up comedy gigs for him told him he should move to austin you know uh at that comedy gig somebody said hey if dave smith runs for president does he get the rogan endorsement and rogan goes fuck yeah this dude's a genius you know (laughs) wow um i was able to get on tim pool tim pool is now openly identifying as a libertarian Michael Malice has a book on history of anarchistic thought that was a, a bestseller. And somehow the guy knows everybody. You know, he knows Jordan Peterson. Bob Murphy was just on, was, was recently on Jordan Peterson's podcast. Jordan Peterson is openly saying he's interested in the Austrian School of Economics. Now I've got things working in the background to hopefully maybe get a Mises Institute-sponsored Jordan Peterson event. Like, we're so close to the to the to the the centers of the counterculture in this country and that counterculture is all they, they might not be ancaps they might not be well you know well read and, and all this stuff that you know the way that we as veterans of this movement are but there's an instinct there given everything that's happened the past two years of more liberty and we're so close to to getting in the mix with that counterculture that once it happens the, the sky is the limit and that's and what we're doing with the mises caucus is that we hope that we give them one bit of infrastructure to come in and take this local action, but but the infrastructure itself is what organizes the community and puts um, you know a framework around that community, and we can be the thing that provides that for this counterculture in the country that's desperately searching for it and can't find it. So that's the huge white pill for me is that the counterculture is already there, it's already working, and we could just we can use the party to open up that channel for them at the very least through the political realm. That's fucking amazing, man. It's pretty fucking crazy that the golden rule has become counterculture. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it fucking crazy? Yeah, it like, is pretty crazy. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you is now the the call of the rebel. <laughs> yeah, man. 
I would also suggest that, yeah, you guys are doing big things, man. And I've watched this momentum. I mean, you invited me and Matt in 2018 to New Orleans for, uh, I think it was the first uh, Mises Caucus event. And uh, yeah, just watching you since then, dude, like you've really taken the bull by the horns with this. It's so motivating. And you're really at the tip of the spear. I mean, as you just mentioned, just your connections alone and the fact that, yeah, we're, we're almost teaming up with some of these these huge figures you know it, it's absolutely what the the movement needs uh, i would also suggest to our listeners to follow the facebook group the lpmc uh libertarian party mises caucus facebook group that's probably the biggest community there's also a facebook page but the group seems like uh it's very active it's thriving uh, a lot of conversations going on in there and you guys even have um certain amount of funding that's coming in every month as well, right? Like you've organized um, a way to empower oh, yeah. yourselves with uh, through the we dollar. Have, uh, yeah, we have Mises Pack, and that's what we use to fund local-level candidates around the country. It's 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 uh, what we use to put on events. You know, uh, we had launched a pilot program last year where we had, you know, Tom Woods come out and talk about uh, secession. We had Michael Bolden come out and talk about nullification. We had Maj come out, uh, Maj Torre, uh, talk about uh, gun control. We had Daniel McAdams talk about foreign policy. And this was all um, in Virginia. Oh, don't draw a blank on the college. Um, this was all near George Mason University. And we wanted to have it at the university to, um, you know, as student outreach program, but COVID crap, we couldn't do it. Um, Point being, though, is that we've launched a student outreach program that we want to expand on, you know, and, and, and do in more colleges uh, around the country uh, to kind of get them thinking about the ideas and then get them thinking about the local focus strategy on top of it. So, um, you know, we use the PAC to fund that. Um, but, yeah, Mises PAC. The last thing I'll say is um, if you happen to be from Pennsylvania, I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, we have our Libertarian Party convention for Pennsylvania coming up March 4th to the 6th. Dave Smith is coming out. Tom Woods is coming out. Spike Cohen's coming out. Sean Rittenauer from the Mises Institute is coming out. Um, you know, there's going to be hundreds of us there, um, and you that that will be a great opportunity to uh, to come and get networked. Uh, that's March 4th to the 6th up in Williamsport, uh, PA, and uh, you know, come check us out. My point was that this isn't something that's just starting up. Like this is rolling. This is in motion. Uh, you have the connections. You have the funding. Uh, people who do invest their money into this will see it be put to good use. So uh, thank you so much for what you're doing, man. And uh, I just want to use this time to remind our listeners to please don't forget to consider donating or subscribing to us so we could continue having powerful interviews like this. Please also uh, rate, review this this podcast on your podcast player of choice. Uh, if you go to our website at the top, you could find links for our newsletter please sign up for that for daily emails and follow us on social media we're pretty much on every social media platform you could think of we post them daily so thank you very much for listening and dude mike thank you for making the time i know it wasn't easy for us to connect on this i know i've been bugging you for a little while but it makes sense man it's because you're doing the fucking work you're doing the shit that needs to be done you have a thousand people trying to pull your attention away from what you're doing so thank you so much man i know i said this last week with sal but you're also a general in this war and uh you know i very much appreciate what you're doing i know our fans and followers do and like i said you're an inspiration brother so thank you Thanks for coming on, Mike. Appreciate it, dude. It was great. Appreciate you guys. Thank you.